0: By two You must remember those words Gordon Son. Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly And as always, I am joined by Julian Darius Julian, how are you doing?
1: Uh, I'm doing quite well, considering I was recently revived from 50 years ago A man out of time How
0: yes. about you? Um, yeah, or a vaudevillian uh, comedian at of time, I think we'll find I'm not bad, um, but from this um, uh, moment forward I will be uh, referred to as SW81 Because... Um, Apparently, names are gauche and uh, we're all numbers now <laughs> past, past 1980. Um, yeah, we, we are kicking off uh series four, well, season four uh, of Stories at Time and Space. We are kicking off with a mega list. And if you go back to the, the last episode, which was a bonus episode, we listed out all the uh films that we are going to do. Uh, and also that's all going to be all it have been on social media. Go check out our Twitter account, and everything else, uh, to see all the films. Um, that we are going to be doing this season It's, it's a whole year worth um, Of films And uh, we are going to cover About 90 years In fact I think it is Because it goes from 1930 to 2020 So we are going to be covering 90 yeah. years Of cinema history um, And there will be some more denser periods I think uh, But also we're tra- targeting some sequels And some remakes And all that sort of thing So we have got an absolute Yeah um, Span of diverse science fiction for you on this fantastic season And we are starting early doors Really early in the uh, history of cinema We are starting in 1930 uh, With the Now sit with me on this one Science fiction Comedy musical romance That is just imagine (laughs) It is called just imagine uh, Directed by David Butler (laughs) um we'll go through this but uh yeah so let me just well no in fact you are julian i'm going to push on to you you, you it's your choice All Right? right <laughs> let's give me a plot summary or give me a summary of this film
1: okay well um after briefly being introduced to um the world f- to 1880 and then mm. seeing you know 1930 when this film was released You jump over to 50 years in the future, all the way, all the way to 1980, where uh, J-21 uh, is um, the main character. And he's in love with L-N-18, because, as you say, everyone has letters and numbers for names Mm. Um, and. You have to apply for a marriage application. The The woman has to consent, so it's not just like... Uh, well, um, that's debatable. We'll talk about that. Yeah, I mean, there definitely is some gender <laughs> stuff going on here. Um, but apparently, while J-21, before she met him, she uh, her parents supported him getting uh, married to MT-3, Mm -hmm. Um, who is sort of a conceited sort of rich guy type. Um, so J 21 is lamenting that the court has decided MT three is the best match. And he's hanging out with his buddy RT 42. Um, and they attend a man being revived from the distant past of 1930, uh, after he died being struck by lightning Um, The the man is revived and becomes known as Single O, and um, they meet uh, Z4, who is a scientist, and Z4 says, I'm planning a rocket ship to Mars, and I could use a pilot because J-21 is a pilot. Mm -hmm. So J-21 goes on a four-month trip to Mars in order to return and uh, be present for the appeal hearing where uh, he will be awarded the girl by the court
0: yeah
1: yeah uh, <laughs> yeah we'll talk about some of this
0: stuff <laughs> and along the way just to talk so this is true like basically this film yeah this this film it sort of covers you literally get images from 1880 straight through to 1930 and this imaginary future of 1980 which we will talk about Along the way, you get a um, a slight ballad about sort of loving someone and how he sort of like you know someone is the melody and someone is the words, um, and then you also get a song about flott- swatting flies. <laughs> um, this film was a flop when it came out in 1930, mm. and uh, it's one of those where I I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just just diss on this film for an hour and a half. That's not what I'm gonna do because there are some interesting points in this and it's it's quite fun. But however, even if this was ever made, like, uh, who is this for? Like, as an audience member, like, it's but so it's so all over the place. I was like, I don't know who this is targeted at.
1: Yeah, first of all, let me just come out and say I kind of love this movie. Um, This is um, (laughs) it is so charming to me. I mean, the musical numbers are you know a little hit or miss. Um, in fact, I think the strangest thing about, uh, envisioning 1980 is like, we're going to go right on with those crooning songs, you know, like <laughs> so absurd, like, you know, and I, and I love like thirties music, but imagining it's still going to be just the same instead of like Johnny Rotten or something, is, <laughs> you know, uh, utterly absurd, but, um, you know, you have this wonderful Mars sequence with, you know, Uh, a queen and you know all this elaborate costuming you have these models of the city i mean and you said who does this appeal to okay well you know it it is a musical it is a comedy um but it's also a really big budget movie i mean this was Mm. a big budget science fiction movie this is like you know star wars or in you know 1930 this is like um you know we talked about john carter previously and that was a flop too but, I mean, mm. you know, the goal is we're going to take you on a wild adventure. We're going to, you know, we're, there's going to be song and dance numbers. You know, <laughs> it's got a little something for everyone. Um, And you're going to see uh, just amazing stuff. And I think it delivers on that.
0: It does on the spectacle. And there's some fascinating ideas. And, and uh, it, I, I agree with you that this is charming. I really do. I think there's some... Uh, elements of this that are wonderfully well thought out. And there's element, then there's other elements that are just sort of absolutely crazy. <laughs> and uh, you know, one of the things I will say is that this film, obviously, you know, was was uh, clearly like made and, and released in 1930, and with that comes uh, a certain societal baggage um, that um, it carries. Um and it what there were two well, there's a couple of things that, that this film made me think about actually. Uh, and one of them I came across a um a quote from Arthur C. Clarke. I couldn't find out what year he said this, but he said, Many films that um present a vision of the future uh, have an idea that the year in which that film was made carries on pretty much unchanged <laughs> for the period of time until the film is predicting, you know. So because you can't predict like those, those world changing events that will actually redirect history and stuff. So um, you almost have to s- assume there's a status quo. Now I think that's changed a little bit in more modern filmmaking. I think we sort of we, we add in. We're so used to now sort of these world changing events that we sort of add things in and go. Okay, well, I think you know even if you look at like Blade Runner or even Star Trek, you know they introduce things like, oh, we've had these wars. That's what changed the direction of history. But this film is very much like, what happened if 1930 just became cooler for the next 50 years? (laughs) Um, And part of me is like, yeah, I would take some of that because it looks awesome. Uh, It has that art deco-y sort of uh, futurism that's really cool. Um, So that's one part of it that I like. The other part is I like the fact that sort of off the back of that is, and we do as well, we look at technology. When you look at a science fiction film, like technology is a big part of that, where the innovations, and the innovations come from whatever's the in, in um, vogue or whatever at, the, at that time. And it's quite clear that air travel was a big part of 1930. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love how that becomes a big part of this film. I thought the, some of the concepts for those individual, flying, uh, individual planes is brilliant. Like, I love them um so that's an interesting sort of thing I, I like just from this sort of this thing of vision of the future but it also made me then think of all the other films that we have passed like you laughed and said about 1980 uh-huh. um and obviously yeah there's no um there's no punks there's no sort of like you know black Sabbath. there's no you know uh, black sabbath coming out there's been no sort of Beatles, whatever but it did then make me think of all those films that we've already sort of talked about that have this vision of the future, sort of Back to the Future Two, it's with twenty fifteen, mm-hmm. and um, or, or even sort of like more close ones, like we and you know similar to this, Demolition Man, um, mm-hmm. where it has this vision of the future, and it, or even we've passed Blade Runner twenty nineteen,
1: mm-hmm.
0: even the dystopian ones have this slight optimism of how fast certain technologies and things are going to grow. We can't seem to stop ourselves, and then we get to that year, and you go, yeah, we don't have hoverboards or uh replicants or um you know all this other stuff um but so that that i was just fascinated by watching that that how sort of like you know it but television communications oh i won't talk about that as well but television communication always seems to come up in all of these which is fascinating but that was that was just something that sort of this idea of like yeah future visions um i find really interesting
1: yeah i had some of the same thoughts um and I was thinking about the, the Back to the Future 2 parallel. I mean, and you think about what is required to get some of these technologies off the ground. Yes. I mean, you know, for replicants, you need a massive bioengineering program that's yes. just like perfected, <laughs> you know, created. I mean, it's gone through making robots, presumably, and then has just made them increasingly organic mm. until they're— essentially, uh, uh, indistinguishable from, uh, a, a normal human being. Um, I mean, but also I grew up on like 2001 and then like mm. 2010. Yeah. We don't have man flights to Jupiter yet. Um, <laughs> that did seem realistic, uh, but no. Um, so I, I, think one of the key takeaways of that, and I, and I don't know that this is any, um, Well, I mean, any more off than some of those other predictions. Oh, God, no. No, 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 Um, no, You know, obviously, like Blade Runner, you know, there's been a nuclear war in the background, and, you know, most of these buildings are unoccupied, and, you know, um, and it also looks at, like, the Japanese, you know, concern uh, of Mm, the 1980s. Exactly. exactly,
0: That's the thing. That's the accentuation.
1: Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know that this is any more off, but, you know, to get to your point, um, you know, what what we underestimate, we sort of overestimate technology, except in the areas where we do get it, right? So, mm-hmm. like, on Star Trek, they're still, you know, like, it's a big deal that they have, like, iPads, you know? Yeah. They invented the <laughs> iPad, basically, yeah. you know? And it's like, right, around the year 2400, we'll get the iPad, you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we beat that, but we still don't have the flying cars. Mm-hmm. so. I mean, it's interesting the way that technology advances, but it's also massively interesting the way we underestimate social change.
0: Yes. That,
1: you know, technical change, technological change happens slowly. Social change. I mean, relatively speaking, we've had more technological change. You think about what life was like 100 years ago. You know, I mean, this is almost 100 years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's flabbergasting. You know, I mean, most of this country isn't even electrified yet, you know. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's just absolutely flabbergasting to think of, but in a human life, it seems to come relatively slowly, but then, you know, in 1980, obviously this movie can't anticipate, you know, rock and roll. It can't anticipate, you know, um, feminism. I mean, it can't anticipate, you know, it, it imagines food being pills, which we've seen in other stuff, right? Yeah. Like, that'll be much more efficient. We'll just take these super vitamins. Um, but then, you know, I mean, like, it, it doesn't imagine, like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're going to have regulation on that because, mm-hmm. like, in 1930, they're still serving, you know, most uh, meat is sawdust and in contamination. Yeah. Well, that...
0: that, that, that. I do. I do want to explore that because one of the things I'm interested about this is you say obviously oh, this is a science fiction film. This is this is a, a let's call it a blockbuster of its day. Okay, it's aiming for that big, big sort of ideas. Um, what are they? yeah sort of? But the the theme of this film is interesting as well. Like the the film breaks up into two parts because there's two films here. Like there's literally like you could break this into two bits and have literally have two films. There's the romance story. Of of someone who's trying to prove their worth in this modern, you know, in this future society, of like you have to have contributed something to the society or be shown to be contributing to the society, to then sort of be able to have these ideal matches. Because uh, Mt uh, Three owns a paper; he's a publisher. That's what he does. Um, and so he is seen as being contributing because he has this newspaper. So he's able to. That's why he's preferred over J uh, Jt. Sorry, J Twenty One. So this mission that J-21 goes, chooses to go on as a pilot to Mars is so that he can actually elevate himself up through these contributions to society. That's the point. That in in, in itself is a film. You know, you can go with all the social struggles, you, you know, you can do all this other stuff. You know, it made me think of things like Gattaca that we've we've exactly. covered in the past. Listen, that's a film in, in and of itself. And I kind of like some of the stuff in there. There's some great sort of ideas in there. You know, that Romeo and Juliet kind of sort of like, you know, unrequited love or whatever, Not, you know, star-crossed lovers kind of thing. Then you've got this other story, this guy out of time that's revived from 1930 and 1980, this sort of fish-out-of-water comedy that, that is also its film in, in and of itself. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I've just sort of smashed these two ideas together. And it's 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 baffling and kind of fun at the same time. Um. And so I, sort of, I have to sort of take them apart, sort of put them together, because they have different themes. Um, the whole thing about this love thing is about, you know, there's this story that they have this idea that sort of touches on it, because they talk about being, you know, this idea of being uh, uh, perfectly matching, the words and the harmony together, and they have all this other stuff, and this idea of don't, basically don't. Uh, shit under the summer houses love, like you know. Don't swat a fly because that fly has a wife and kids, and like you know,
1: <laughs> it may love the mother fly.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and so I, I, when I mean when she's drumming on that uh, set it like, and they have a whole section of like choreographed fly swatting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That, that that notched this film up at least a star for me. <laughs> That, that's going up to another level because the the girl who does that's D. She plays uh, D six. Is her name and she sort of appears in something like Marjorie White. She's great in this film. Like she she's actually really cool. Um, and so yeah, there's all that sort of stuff about this. You know, this thing about sort of like you know, do what it takes to be sort of like. But it's not in that thing. It's and this is I want because I want to focus on that for a moment because again, looking at it in its context, this is someone. Um working within the system his mission is to work within the system to elevate himself so that he can get the girl right to, to mm-hmm. acquire the love story there's no rebellion there there's no sort of thing if this was a modern story you know let's sort of say I don't, I don't know last 30 40 maybe even 50 years let's still sort of call it 50 years not you know the story would be about how he rebels against the system And how it would they would be showing how bad the system is, like 1984 style of how corrupt it is and or how uh, constrained it is. And that would be the story, you know, that would then they would end up together in some other way that way. So it felt interesting that it's it felt very conservative in its values of like, you know, well, we're going to work within the system. To make this work, I'm not going to I'm not big enough to shake it down, I'm going to work within the system which I thought was really interesting, um, for a protagonist.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's worth keeping in mind that this is, you know, about 10 years off of the red scare, Oh yeah. Um, you know, the first red scare in which, mm. you know, anarchists and, you know, Italians, frankly, and just, you know, immigrants are being rounded up and deported and, you know, just <laughs> absolutely having their constitutional rights trampled on. Um, So, you know, I mean, there is clearly a sort of rejection of the role of government in deciding these marriages. The film wants you to, you know, think that that's bad, but it's not going to present a revolution movie, right? No. Because it's not a Bolshevik movie, which is, you know, (laughs) what that might have been seen at the time. Um, And there is a kind of, I would say, quietism to it, right? Mm -hmm. There's a sort of like... American um right we um wouldn't like this but also we are not going to have a revolution over this and and in some ways i think that is that is more realistic i mean you mentioned gattaca and and you know in the same way they're you know it's more of a social critique uh obviously i mean even blade runner you're supposed to feel like it's terrible that these replicants are treated this way right you're supposed to condemn the law more, but, you know, so it is strange that that's sort of lacking, but at the same time, I kind of like that people, you know, first of all, it's just who you marry and, you know, the, um, you know, I mean, my question is sort of, this makes sense for New York and for a certain upper crust, this is never going to be implemented in the sticks, Right. (laughs) There's no like Indiana judge going like, you know, all right, T-32, you know. Um, No, you just can't do this for every single marriage. Um, So this is clearly a sort of like upper crust kind of thing. But also, you know, by the rules of this film, she did, her family kind of pressured her into it. Mm -hmm. But she did agree to marry this guy um, and then agree to this other, well, not agree to marry him. She agreed to this to accept a proposal. And the idea is that, you know, a court then decides. So there is a sort of like, you know, there was concern during the first Red Scare about how um, a lot of the propaganda was focused on how, and this is is funny now, but how (laughs) under under the Bolsheviks, women had been uh, communized and were like commodities that were being, you know, traded and, and given to to men against their will um so there is a sort of like air of that um but at the same time you know she still has to agree to the proposal just that she ha- regrets this one and she had it she says when they're on the airplanes you know that she hadn't met j21 yet and that's mm-hmm. the one line of dialogue to explain it yeah because you, you're you know, right, there's no revolution, right? There's no...
0: No, no, and that, that, I think that's very much more of a modern thing. Like you said, that's what I'm saying. I'll take this in the historical context of the period it's in. Because there's one there's one sort of, like, you know, there's a minor character. You get very few peripheral characters to give you a view of the wider world. You get odds and sods, So you get Z4, like you said. And, but you also get this uh, census taker mm. that comes around and basically forces her way into the apartment and... I kind of like this because I actually really like RT forty two. Um uh because he's, he's this he's sort of like the cheeky one. He's the sort of like delinquent of the two and, and he he is kind of charming and, and um he's kind of he is quite fun. But she actually says they talk about the, the whole thing of marriage comes up. Um because she says about who who lives here, you know, what what you know, are you male or female, and they talk about the dog as well, which never comes back again. <laughs> you know, yeah. it leaves for four months. Um <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's just a joke that he's, his name is K-9, right? Yeah, I mean. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but she says about the fact that, like, basically, like, you say about that, she has, that women have to accept the proposal, but they can't make a proposal.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: And so women, you know, she, so so basically this, this census tech is sort of, you know, lamenting the fact that, like, no one's ever made a proposal to her. Uh-huh. And RT sort of RT is very much sort of like, oh, that's a shocker! Like you must be, uh, you know, fun at parties. Um, and he's kind of, he's sort of mean to her, but like in, a, in obviously in a jovial way. But like, it's this. There is that glimpse of um, again this this thing of accepting one's role. Like she's like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I can't. I've never been You know, I've never received received a proposal, but I've still got to do my duty on the census taker sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So there's little glimpses of a wider world But It does It's clear how um, I don't want to get into the sexism just yet But how male-centric This world is
1: Yeah, I mean It's fundamentally patriarchal Yeah yeah, I mean, I I thought that That line was also key And and it's it's strange that like that's a feminist line right Mm. like i should have equal rights so you know like it why is it the expectation especially in the 1930s that a man is the one who asks a woman out a man is the one who asks a woman to dance um back in the day that was a big deal Mm. and uh you know honey wanna wanna go to the soda fountain with me you know um And, and there are vestiges of that today, but but it's mostly gone. But I mean, that is a sort of feminist line. But at the same time, you know, you sort of see how nobody really questions it. and um and even the, I mean the the main uh, woman, you know, Ellen, mm. which I think is you know mildly clever, um Ellen, you know, eighteen, uh, she, sort of objects to, you know, like, well, why, why can't I make this decision myself or whatever? Um, but, I mean, and, and I often think about this sort of like, you know, in the context of like the flappers of the 20s or something, uh, who were proto-feminists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, obviously this was a completely sexist, you know, uh, bizarre, from our standpoint, society. And you have these women who are questioning it, but who still go along with it in other ways. Um,
0: yeah, when you say they question it, they, they're not like you say, this is because it's not been a revolutionary movie. It's not about that. And <clears throat> so questioning it, I think I don't think questioning it is too strong a word. There's a sort of like you say, there's an air of not not so much manipulating the system. But like you see uh, LN and D sort of being as friends, how they sort of like, you know, get around MT3. Uh, like, you know, oh, she's got a headache and she just starts there sort of like patting her on the head. Like, she's poorly. This is terrible. Mm. You go out and enjoy you're not Like, women have got, you know, um, this and this, uh, please excuse the language of me, but like their wily ways of, because that's what this film is. It's sort mm. of like, oh, women have got their wily ways of, you know, getting around these things. And it's it's got that. However, there is also a song to, quite early on about having um a girl from like the good old days,
1: oh, yeah,
0: almost like like Grandma used to be, which was a little is a little creepy in and of itself. but like it talks to and it it goes through a series of sort of uh, images, yes. Of women in different positions, and there's a dancer that, or the the one that is clearly presented to be potentially a flapper, but then there's a woman reading a book while she's, you know, while she's sort of like pushing a crib and sort of bits. And there is this even in this, there's this idea of, um, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not looking for uh, a a feisty woman of spirit and and who knows, I'm looking for an old-fashioned woman who. And it goes back to this idea of sort of like, yeah, but this is you said about this idea of social change. This is a film set in nineteen thirty, made in nineteen thirty, set in nineteen eighty, about someone from nineteen thirty saying, "I wish I had a," I, you know, like you say, almost saying, "I wish I had someone from
1: 1880.
0: Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And so that song yeah. in and of itself sort of felt interesting. I was like, oh, okay, this is really sort of the the what 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 you know. I'm I'm, I'm quite comfortable that Jay. Um, likes ellen you know and they are in love and i'm I'm, they're well and they've got chemistry and it all works fine but what he wants from her is really unclear like you know this idea of oh we we work together but i want you to be almost subservient to me in this sort of old-fashioned way is his true desire and so it's it's interesting how that sits even within this
1: film i think that's true um and and i want to explore that more but but i want to first say that i don't know that we're immune from that um Mm -hmm. you know certainly it's less so than it used to be in the past but i think of the Clintons, where you know hillary was as smart or clearly smarter than her husband but you know it was just expected that a woman puts her career on hold first you know um and And that made a certain kind of sense, because the man, you know, was likely to I say the man as if this is just totally heteronormative, <laughs> but you know, this film is as well. but I mean, the man of a uh, of a um, you know heterosexual couple could have more income, right? So yeah. I mean it does make sense. Um, you know, and but of course, that's also self perpetuating. Mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I don't know that we're, and I still see that happening today, to to a lesser degree, uh, but it still does happen. Um, you know, and and some of it is, frankly, to my mind, that you know, especially men in their twenties are more narcissistic than than women in their twenties, and <laughs> yeah. you know, a little more insistent on, yeah, wanting that. But, um, but in that sequence. Of sort of the good old days. Now, I mean, I don't think of it as going back to the the 1880s. I think of it as it's also sort of like buttering up the audiences, right? Oh like, yeah, yeah, you know, nineteen thirty. You know, like we were on the cutting edge of modernity, and you know, <laughs> um, in the future we'll progress, but you know, um, we were when it was just right, yes. <laughs> you know, this absurdity, um, and and especially now there is something very Trumpian. About imagining this golden age of the past, you know, when women were women and men were men and mm. all the characters were white and nobody yeah. made a big deal out of it. Um, you know, that that does rile me, but I, I don't feel that about this film. I mean, it's 1930. It's hard yeah, to yeah, yeah. get worked up about it. But in that sequence where they're, they're showing all of these, you know, old timey women and, you know, and I, and I love the use of montage throughout this movie. It's it's wonderful. But um, in that sequence, the most alarming moment is a moment where a man is um, it, presumably in 1930 is uh, kissing a woman. And he, you know, he goes to, to kiss this woman who clearly is saying no. And. She raises her arms, sort of, you know, as he's kissing her, going, no, 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 no. And it goes on for
0: 15,
1: 20 seconds or something. (laughs) And then she finally, like, relents and puts them on his shoulders. Mildly. It's not like she's, you know, like... Yeah, she's probably been suffocating. I think
0: he's used his face to suffocate her. I think more than (laughs) (laughs) anything.
1: She's passed out. And, of course, today we think, oh, my God, this this is... Non-consensual, yeah. um, but there is this, this old-timey attitude of sort of like, well, women are programmed to resist, and it's your job to push on, and sometimes no doesn't really mean no. And and he's not raping her, right? I mean, I don't mean to— Well, but don't still... know it goes beyond the 15, 20 seconds, God knows. But well, yes, that's that true. But, but also, it's not clear, you know, I mean, consensus is—, is you know, uh, is complicated and fraught. But, you know, she seems to really change her mind. But, I mean, obviously, (laughs) she's being out captive. (laughs) I mean, it's terrible. I think that is the part that's dated so poorly. But to bring it back to that context, I mean, probably, you know, even women in 1930, uh, even American women in 1930, um, you know, would have predominantly said, listen, sometimes, you know, sometimes we change our minds and I haven't mm-hmm. changed my mind about guys and, you know, right, that culture of press on would have been not just something guys said to each other, but something that, you know, women also agreed with, um, just because it was part of that culture.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, that's the thing, actually. It's one of the things I wanted to sort of touch on because of the the sort of the the third act of this film, like this idea of culture. Um, and what's accepted and what's the norm and stuff. But um, th- this idea, this, this weird nostalgia this film has, though. Um, it's not nostalgia. You're right. It's not a nostalgia. It's this weird sort of promotion of 1930. Because um, fi- I want to go to the other side of things, then, just for a brief second. I want to talk about uh, Single Zero, Single O, um, mm-hmm. played by L. L. Brendel, who was a vaudevillian... Uh, comedian Uh, and he actually gets to do one of his acts in this film with the hats which again I kind of enjoy seeing that kind of thing there's a real charm to seeing that sort of stage performance and stuff it made me think of like Robin Williams it's the kind of thing I can imagine that sort of switching characters and stuff very quickly being like Billy Crystal or Robin Williams or something like that doing Um, but this idea the film itself starts with images of the three different eras and so you do, you get this sort of image of of uh, 1880, you, this sort of like, you know, this Fifth Avenue, this sort of quiet street. It looks like a quiet street. There's horses and carriages. And they say, oh, how quiet it is it? How safe it is? Look, this guy, he's crossing the street, almost gets hit by a horse, but no, he's safe. To jump to nineteen thirty, so they didn't have the, the traffic problems and all this other stuff we have now. And I'm like, well, you wait.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, because then it jumps to this guy and he says, Oh, look, check me. Look at this guy jaywalking. And he almost gets hit by a car. Oh, he's safe. No, he isn't. And it cuts to black. And then it sort of says, And now, just, and that's the whole point of the film. Just imagine 50 years from now, there's these sort of these intergaps. And it jumps to, or to 1980. And as you say, the, the sort of, um, uh, I think it must be like those painted backgrounds and, all this other stuff. But like this idea of everyone's in these planes and they've got traffic control for planes and, and this other stuff. The vision of that, though, is is great. Like I love it. Like that first thing of the planes. And I love the fact that the, one of the things I love most about this this film is such a small detail, but it impressed me so much, really, was someone considered this idea of the plane. So they have got like this propeller that takes them forwards. But then, built into their wings, they have other propellers in order for them to hover and to help them land. Like someone had thought to engineer, like they hadn't just gone, ah, no one's going to think about this. Who cares? They had actually sort of thought this through of, of what's almost like, you know, granted it wouldn't work. I don't think it would work physically, but like, how what would be the logistics of a future vehicle and how it would work? So that the fact that it has hover uh, propellers, I loved it. I was really that really worked for me. Um. And but and, but then this idea where they can hover next to each other and he can sort of J twenty one comes along to her plane and they have this conversation, and uh, the the, the they're, they're like in the air they're like hovering like I don't know how far up they are but he sort of hops across onto her plane, and the policeman's like you can only park there for three minutes, um. And all that I thought was fantastic. I thought it was really interesting. Oh, I thought, oh, they're really pushing into this futurism, this idea that there's going to be sort of like this techno futurism and all this other stuff. It's great, okay, brilliant. But then they do introduce this revived character, and he becomes um, the sort of like the point of view character. In order, sort of like you know, we need someone who needs to who can get all the exposition of what this stuff is. So let's introduce this character. Uh, and again, we've had these things. I think of sort of like California Man, or sort of it's called something else in the States. But these ideas of the unfrozen caveman, or whatever. Yeah, you know, even even Demolition Man, this man out of time, Captain America. And so they have this character. Now he's a comedian, and we'll get to that. I kind of I find it fascinating of like how swiftly they introduce him. Oh, he's been revived! Yay! And the, even the scientist is like, "Well, I'm done with you now. <laughs> like, we're yeah. not going to test you or anything. You're just
1: done." um i, I actually like that i mean yeah. you know it, it, it's it's certainly too fast i mean you think they would run more tests and i wonder mm. how he gets his identity papers yeah. you know but <laughs> oh, yeah. but yeah i do sort of like that oh yeah no we're done with you it's like it, it's like a story where they they revive somebody from cryonics and they're like yeah. right well we proved we can do that good luck in this new world <laughs> yeah yeah like coming out of
0: prison like here's ten dollars bye mm. um yeah, uh, but they, obviously the guys pick him up, and as they're walking through, they introduce those things that you know, sort of, um, the, as you said, the food in pills, alcohol in pills, mm-hmm. um, and and there's a couple of things there. But he he has this sort of running joke of going sort of like you know, oh, because he has this, this weird sort of, he's he's the he's the silly foreigner. It's the trope of the silly foreigner gag, but he's like, oh, give me the good old days, kind of thing again and again. <laughs> And it's when he sort of sees the food. And he talks about how, you know, you'd see the thick-cut steak and you'd you'd taste the gravy and all this other stuff, which is quite interesting. And then he talks about drinking um, because there is still, 50 years later, prohibition is still in place. Mm -hmm. And they make the joke where he says, oh, well, next year we'll have light light wines and beers. And they go, he says, are they still saying that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, right. And then they see um, a couple go to basically a vending machine to pay and have a baby delivered. And then like, he's like, to you like a boy or a girl? And a, a, a proper baby comes down the chute, um, which I loved. I'm like, you know, I don't know who's doing that on the other side. Like there's some sort of, you know, effects of <laughs> some producer just like, go! Put the baby in now. Yes, yeah. yeah. Go! Down the little chute. um, And he looks at that and goes again, like, you know, give me the good old days. Mm-hmm. There's still this thing of, although they're trying to sort of show this future um, as being sort of like, there's the efficiency, like you said, the food and this thing and the marriage and all these other things, right? There's still this sort of idea, like you said, of like, but we got it right in 1930. You can still enjoy your food. You can still go and copulate with your women. You know, you can still do whatever. All that's still there. And obviously they're going to joke about prohibition, which seemed interesting. But it does harken back to that thing you're saying of, it's not so much nostalgia Although it feels like nostalgia to us Because we're looking back at the past But it's that promotion right. of the now mm-hmm. You know um, Which I find really interesting and, and that character sort of acts in that part That whole section is literally just going Sort of like Well 1930 was pretty damn good that <laughs> um, I find really interesting um, I don't know What your thoughts are Well I
1: mean I, I do like this I, And I do think that The like the baby thing, you know makes me think, how in the world does this work? I mean, in the same way that the 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 marriage rules are are a bit bizarre, um, you know, I find myself thinking, how do you implement this social program? But having said that, I like this idea of sort of, right, we're all going to get old. And look back on the time we grew up and said that's when things were right, <laughs> you know. Yeah. that's when the music was good. You know, uh, people made sense, and you know there is that sort of presentism that goes beyond just praising the 1930s and becomes more a wider recognition of yeah, this is how it works, right? Those people from 1880 are still saying that today, you know, in, in 1930. And you know, 1930, if you, you run forward, and we see that today with like you know, the 1950s stuff, and you know, mm-hmm. people saying, right, and you know, ages. in my day, men were men and women were women, and, and we didn't yeah. have trans people. Not pretty sure you did, you just yeah. weren't aware, yeah. <laughs> uh, there just didn't were see as many terms, right? Mm. But, but you know, it's like. In my day, we didn't have homosexuals. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely did. Yeah, you know, yeah. you just believe that you didn't because you didn't encounter them. Um, and there wasn't, uh, you know, so much racial strife. Right, because, you know, there were no blacks couldn't find employment. So you didn't, mm-hmm. you know, and they were redlined to other neighborhoods. So, but I do think there is a way in which this film not necessarily knows that, but it doesn't take itself so, so seriously. Like, if you want to see this at, in the 1930s as like, right, we got it right, you absolutely can. Yes. On the other hand, there is a way in which it it's not pointing to anything specific
0: that's mm-hmm. all that
1: meaningful about 1930. Um, it just seems to be, yeah, you know, as cultures change, as technology changes, you're going, everybody is going to be the amusing you know, Swedish, I mean, there was a Swedish immigrant type, right? I find yes. this amusing. Like, that was a whole type in Bondville, yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah. Wow, I'm the Swedish immigrant, you know, um, who can't pronounce his J's. He pronounces them as Y's. I mean, it's so, first of all, that that was, we don't even find ethnic stereotype characters acceptable today. But, you know, uh, yeah, but that, within that, white, quote unquote, white, society yeah, there were yeah. all these white ethnicities they were considered yeah we're not so sure about them you know that
0: doesn't that only died out recently though i mean that that thing of doing sort of like you know um well in the even in the 80s what was the russian one you in in you know in my country sort yeah, of right. like all that all that stuff was still going on well it for the last it's only been the last 10 5 10 years it's really probably sort of like Hit home even to the extent of like, well, th- these black or Mexican or, or you know, ethnic uh cartoon characters really should be voiced by <laughs> someone <laughs> of that ethnicity, not just a sort of like a white guy that can do a lot of good voices. Um, and so it's it's, it's interesting, but like vaudeville, I want and I do want to talk about vaudeville uh and, and that type of humor uh, as we get into it, but it, it is interesting how you're right, it's. It, it 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 does sort of tread a really fine line, and it does it quite well, of being celebratory of 1930 by being, you know, slightly critical of these sort of things of the future, but whilst being showing them as relatively wondrous, you know, look at these advancements mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and again, you know, this difference in storytelling and where this thing's focusing like is interesting because, um. Uh, and what the expectations of a story is. like this This, I mean this story, this film is focusing on J. That's the point. Like, you know, J twenty one is this is, is to focus his relationship with LN. Fine. But someone who gets revived um after 50 years and then looks at the future, you know, doesn't then usually would be like, How the hell did we get here? Uh, why yeah, why have you called what you know, why are you called J21? At what point did that go? Did they say yeah, Julian and Scott, you know, names, we're dropping those. You're now going to be called something else. What was the purpose? Like, they're the kind of things that, in—in—in in, in, again, in a film, if this was made now, you'd have that discussion where you'd be like, well, it happened because of this and, and stuff. And there's other drop lines. So when the census woman comes in again um, into the apartment earlier in the film, um, she asks uh, uh, RT about his parents. What about your mother and father? And he says, Oh, I'm a basically, I'm a test tube baby. Mm-hmm. But both I and J are of the so they, they, you know, we don't have parents. And he, he names a company uh, like Western Electric or something like that as being yeah. that, which I kind of like. This is again, like quite funny. But again, like, all right, so they've actually invented a way to, to propagate without. So is that cloning? Is it like, did they, t- or is it that he doesn't know who the people are? Like, I, I don't know. And so there's no explanation of some of these things of how they came about. It's just, so you sort of just led to accept them, which I'm fine with. I don't want a detailed history. But the, you know, this comes back to the thing i said we said before about there's no like world-changing event where they're like, Well, this happened, there was a world war, ironically, and we did we took these these kind of like measures. Um, it's just sort of like these are just things for the future, like the Jetsons, you know, like we're gonna have these things in place. Um so, yeah, well, but they're, they're there to be wondrous.
1: I mean, the it's interesting to me that uh, Single-O is sort of the, you're saying that he's sort of the revival and that there are multiple plots kind of shoehorned together. I don't know that I disagree with that. But, you know, it's funny, Demolition Man has the, you know, the sidekick, you know, comedic, <laughs> you know, character. Yeah. I mean, the Stallone Judge Dredd does. Um, you know, there's there are an awful lot of, Sci-fi that we grew up with, Mm. um, that that have that kind of character, and apparently Ed Brindel was kind of like uh, a big star briefly. He was like you know at the time. Yes, Um, his name's all over the
0: poster. He's one of the big names on the poster. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you know, it's uh, sort of you know featuring the uh, SNL uh, guy who you will totally forget in five years. Yes, (laughs) Um, yeah right yeah i did go ahead no what we to say you go well i wanted to change the subject um just slightly because mm-hmm. you were talking about this vision of the future and you know when you cut to um 1980 and you know you you were talking about like the sort of map painting and how the design of those you know uh uh planes
0: mm-hmm. were
1: uh cool okay so first of all This is not a map painting. They built a giant miniature of that city with 250-story skyscrapers, suspension bridges connecting them. This miniature cost $168,000 in 1930. They built it in an army balloon hangar. It took 205 technicians five months to build it, and it had 15,000 light bulbs. Uh, just in the city, not even counting the the lights and the rafters. Yeah, light. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, they reused it. And, you know, they. I should hope so. Yeah. Yeah, and they reused that, like um, uh, the rocket ship that got to Mars. But I mean, like, yeah, yeah. no that that's actually a physical model, <laughs> like, and, that's and that's really impressive. To know that is yeah. really impressive. Okay, then when you have the like planes, right? Mm. We're when, when talking about how they're designed. Um, and I, I think it is that city that's kind of most remembered, uh, you know, from from this movie. But when you have when you have those planes and you're talking about how cool and of course, it's sort of, you know, a few years later it'd be jets. Right. But they yeah. still have propellers. Right. But they also have the VTOL propellers. Mm. And I think it's so funny that there's a cop in a like suspended <laughs> little like it's <laughs> so like the 1930s. Like, well of course, you need a traffic cop at every major intersection.
0: Not just he's, a traffic cop. He's an Irish traffic cop as well. Uh,
1: Yes, that's right. That's right. Very <laughs> obviously, <laughs> you know, because um, it's New York. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's, a, it's a, a absurd. But when you have the all of these images of like the background of the city, um, of, of course, today it'd be done with green screen. Mm. I thought, oh, well, I'm familiar with rear projection where they, you know, project the the image, you know, behind the actors and then film that. The real projection did not exist in 1930. Wow. And so the way they got all of that and composited images was they had to shoot the background and then take the actual developed film. And paste it on. And, and and paste it on to the film as they're filming the actor so that that, <laughs> so that, that film gets that imprint gets onto the undeveloped film. And, you know, you're trying to run two film strips through the projector. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, look, this is 1930 and, and they got that. Wow. Um, That's really impressive
0: to know. Like, cause it looks good. Like, it looks yes. good. Like, for the time, it looks really well done. Um, and also, I also appreciate now why it's not, you know, there's not loads of shots of them walking across some of the suspension. <laughs> like, no, 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 these shots are enough. And we'll just use it in other films to sort of cover the cost.
1: Right, especially um, after it was a flop. Uh, yeah. and, and finally, one other thing about this is that um, electrical equipment that's used to revive uh, and Bradell as mm. Single O used the following year in Frankenstein directed by James Whale. I thought so. I was going to look into
0: that because I was I was looking at this and going, especially the thing that's sort of like. Um, pulses down and stuff i was like that looks incredibly familiar Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um and i was going to wonder if that some of that stuff was used again um
1: and and if i remember correctly that starts for this film goes into frankenstein and then winds up being used in the actual props were used in young frankenstein by Mel brooks yeah yeah, yeah. like in the 1970s they're shooting (laughs) a comedy based on a film that was reusing that plot prop from this thing that's quite
0: impressive. So yeah, I mean, this film has got a legacy then that you know unknown more for its via its visual effects than than uh, mm. than say its plot. That's really impressive. I mean, that sort of you know, um, and I would say that about the sets. I actually want to say about some of the sets in this as well. Some of them are, are a little sparse. You know, uh, the apartment again. This is not a knock, like their apartment is relatively sparse. Um, but the and the courtroom is relatively sparse when they go for the appeal and all this other stuff. However, it's quite clear they knew where to put their money because they've done obviously the big sets and stuff for for the backgrounds and for the models. But then when they go to like the girls' apartment um and stuff, like they've put more money there. and it', it it's subtle, but it, there's a nice uh contrast between this sort of relatively sparse, uh, not so much bland, but very male apartment that the two uh, mm-hmm. two guys, RT and J live in, and then you go to LN and D's place, and it's very different, and it's very feminine, they've got sort of like, you know uh, this sort of chaise lounge, and they've got the nice beds and it's got more like art deco wall decoration and all this other stuff, it's got like a balcony and I actually kind of like some of the subtle set design like that that actually shows sort of like, you know those different differences between characters and stuff, that May or may not be intended, but it looks, it works well. Um, and so I, I liked some of that. And also wealth. It shows sort of this difference between wealth. Like the G, G, uh, RT and J are supposed to be pretty poor. Like they're low on the, the social ladder. Um, and obviously she's now sort of like, you know, linked with uh, with MT3, who's got more money. And her family's got more money because that's where the whole thing's set up. And so I like those sort of those, the visuals in some of those as well. I was, I was sort of noting um, were quite cool. So that, that that sort of like I say, I think some of the visual and the production design in this is actually really good. I think they've actually put some thought into it. Again, like to say saying, the planes. This is an idea of like the way these planes come in. Is they slow down and then they use a hover to to come to the ground. Like I was like, cool. That won't be using a jet plane until like the Harrier jump jet and stuff, and like until like the sixties. You know, so brilliant. Um. Yeah. Some of the other stuff I was quite impressed with like, you know, They have that television technology Now this is one of the things I wanted to to sort of bring up Because some of the technology is fine. And I want to get to some comparisons later on We've got, well, you and I are sat on I'm sat on a laptop, you know, you're sat on a laptop We're now talking across um, You know, the, the, the Atlantic you know, There's that sort of, we're able to do that But I still have to send you A call for you to accept Or vice versa You know I was quite intrigued that, that RT is able to go, well, I'll, I'll call D and find out. And basically he presses a button, and her apartment just pops up on his screen. Uh, <laughs> and she uh-huh. sat there in her lingerie on the bed, and then she's he's like, oh, shame, shame. And she runs off and gets something. And I was just like, I, 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 it's clearly for a joke and stuff. But I was still like, for everything else you've done where you've thought things through, this seems really weird that you literally can just pop up in somebody else's apartment or somebody else's house on a video screen. It was really bizarre,
1: but well, it was, why, why does it seem bizarre? Just that it's so um,
0: well, she doesn't accept the call, but like she literally just turns on and she's like, "Oh my god!" Like
1: she's surprised that the call is. Yeah, she's gone basically through. being spied on. I mean, that yeah. is another sort of like weird gender moment, right? Yeah. Like, ha ha, you know. But there is a line of dialogue to explain that where you know he just sort of opens the the window you know there's a sort of uh vertical yeah. uh shield that raises and she's on the the TV um and there is i think she has a line of dialogue where she says oh i forgot to turn it off when we last talked right. so apparently you know, they've just, it's just like, I love I, the Skype connection open, and, and you're right. like, right, I'm going to I'm gonna check in on Julian. <laughs> oh, here he is lounging <laughs> on his couch, you yeah. know? Yeah. But
0: again, like I would say, all those things sort of work well for this film. It's, it comes to the charm of it. And I'm going to say the charm for the first two acts. I, I do want to talk about this. There's one thing, again, i have sort of... Uh, wait, There's one thing I wanted to throw in, because we talked about the time before we get to the finale and we get to the, the, the big bit. This film was made in 1930 And we're not far off The transition from silent To um, Talkies as it were And you can sort of see There are some actors in this That really Seem to struggle with A natural delivery there's some that seem fine. Again, I, I will call out the 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 woman who plays D6, uh, Marjorie White, and even actually Maureen O'Sullivan, um, the the main characters and stuff, and uh, the guy, and and Frank uh, Alberts and RT Forty Two, are all great. Like they seem quite comfortable with it. They have a relatively sort of naturalistic delivery for the most part. Mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a point at the end actually, which is really which I'll talk about when we get to the appeal and and d is given this sort of faux story about m23 uh, mt3 about she sort of like how she impregnated him and, and so he impregnated her and he should be marrying her and all this other stuff but then like when the judge starts challenging on it she's like well I didn't really you know say I say I didn't say it under oath and she's been like mm-hmm. coy and cheeky and I think she's very good Al Brendel though who plays single o mm-hmm. John Garrick at times who plays j21. But particularly Keith uh, Kenneth Thompson, who's MT3, really clearly comes from a different era, uh-huh. because their delivery is so stilted, um, and like really sort of like they're not confident about how their voice should sound in this new medium. It's weird because El Brendel's clearly like a, he's a he's a vaudeville, He's a stage performer. But there's so many times where his sort of delivery is so stilted and sort of like he's not sure. And there's a there's a great one at the at the end as well. The guy who plays Brendel's, who plays Singelo's son, when that turns up,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like he's obviously an old guy that brought in to do whatever. can't stop looking at the camera. Like, there's twice where he sort of like oh, yeah. flicks up at the camera. But that's besides of But I don't know. It just it just felt like again. I was like, this feels like a transitional film. Like, there's people in this that have been in silent films, and there's films that there's those that are coming through on talkies, and I can feel that different style of acting, sort of, like, almost at odds between some of these performers. Did you know, yeah. you know, what were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, I think that is true. I mean, I, I don't know that this is a, a transitory film. I think this was a, a pioneering film. I mean, mm. in its failure, this was a big-budget science fiction film. Uh, the likes of which we have now. I mean, this was Dune. This was crazy ambitious. And its failure really ended, except for serials, uh, big budget, you know, Hollywood uh, sci-fi. I think what you're pointing out is true. And, um, you know, of course, on stage, um, you know, especially, you know, especially back then, I mean, actors really had to exaggerate. Right. Yes. And so actors who came in this period and in in previous decades from a stage background would wildly exaggerate because, Mm. you know, they've got to see you in the back row. Right. Um, So, you know, and and stuff that works on stage in a way that it doesn't in film. Um, And so I think we're much more uh, comfortable with tiny shots you know close-ups today obviously you know this is not a close-up movie Uh -uh. um the close-up massively overused today yeah to the point where it's such a cliche such an easy answer to for things but um but we're used to much more subtle acting and subtle displays of uh character and emotion um but it does get to um it does get to the era and sort of like what is entertaining and i think that you see these miniatures, you see, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Mars in a moment. Mm. You see these, you know, massive sets and and whatnot. And, and you know, they're still impressive today. I mean, mm. certainly if they had been recorded in, you know, digital HD, you know, it would look even better. But those are really awesome. There's stuff that's really awesome here. But then there's also vaudeville right Mm -hmm. um there's also these musical numbers and some of these numbers are pretty good some of them are you know okay um that that silly fly song right where like don't (laughs) swat a fly and it goes through all these different and then you see the fly sort of cuddling together you know but i mean it's funny like each of them is annoyed by the fly and the other one has to stop him like you remember we're singing a song about don't do the thing you're literally just doing um that was actually a number that went on to have life from this film. Um, it's not the best number. I, 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 mm. But I, I do think some of the numbers are okay. But one of the numbers that is worth pointing out is the drinking song. Yes. As, you know, these men are sitting around and, and drinking. I am a huge fan. Huge, 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 huge fan of Bugsley Berkeley movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that sense of spectacle. And you have... several numbers in this that are clearly Bugsy-Berkeley ripoffs. You know, as the the women, lines of women are dancing and they go through each other and intersect and the camera is up above them as they they merge and sort of almost swim uh, across the stage. Um, All of that is just pure Bugsy-Berkeley. And the drinking song is super stupid. I mean, it's not about (laughs) anything except... You know, that that's the, the downside of musicals are, you know, these numbers that are like, yeah, let's just throw in a number here, you know, uh, for, you know, do you like plants? Yes, I like plants. You yeah. know, it's like not relevant to the plot, but I do love that sense of spectacle. And I think that certain elements like some of the dad jokes, you know, especially around single O and, uh, you know, sort of Swedish immigrant type And the vaudeville stuff is, it's cool to see him doing the different hats, but it doesn't wow us the way it it might have wowed them back then. At the same time, that sense of spectacle wows me so much more than it probably would have at the time, uh, you know, where we just don't do stuff like that anymore. No, No, it's not human body. Mm. Yeah, just, I mean, the coordination of the human body and, and that character, you know, going through everybody as they're holding their steins up, you know, across yeah. the table. I mean, it's fantastic, and it, it brings me so much joy, even in this silly, you know, second-rate ripoff. Well, you, you talk about the music because
0: we haven't talked about Mars, but there's one of those sort of, like, uh, big dance in on Mars when you see all those sort of people mm. dancing, I was quite impressed... And that also has a major set as well, which we'll get to. But what that that drinking song as well, and 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 actually um, the one on uh, on Mars. You're right that these things aren't commonplace anymore, and they're so uncommon that when they are done in something now, they get highlighted as as the greatest dance number that's in that film. Or as they get pointed out in some sort of, you know, oh man, look, you've got to see the, the choreography in this, like you know, we get the odd one, like when they redo a sort of a Broadway show as a as a um, as a film, you know, Les Mis, Chicago, something like that. But the ones that, weirdly, the two that actually that drinking song in particular made me think of as I don't know if you've seen Rocket Man, which is the Elton John mm-hmm. biography. For some reason, it brought that back. And I think it was, there's a couple of songs in that that do that have that sort of sense of feel. But then also, you say about that sort of vaudeville uh, dance number but again, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is 84, I think, um, it has that thing, doesn't it, at the beginning with, with Willie Scott when she does it in the club. And even in, even in 1984, to open a film with that, was people were like, "Oh, this is you know, opens with a real spectacle dance number," like Spielberg sort of throwing in, you know, the kitchen sink to this, and you can like, "Not really," compared to these things that mm. were being done fifty years before. Um, even like you say, in this sort of like this this sort of kind of ripoff version. So you're right; it is interesting to see. I, I, I'm always impressed with with choreographed dance numbers because I'm not that coordinated, and <laughs> and and to see these people do that is really impressive. So I do find them fun. But you're right to see that they stand out probably more now because of that, because they're just not in favor. They're not, they're not the thing to do. Um, but they are pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and the training and the costuming and so much of the long takes where it's yeah. like, wow, you know, this is this is one take mm. um, or a, a few shots uh, is, is really impressive. And I, I think I love everything you just said. And I think it's right that, you know, even where it's not, a major part of the plot where maybe you in a present day movie, you're introduced to like, right here, we're at the hotel and you see the line of women in, in some sort of headpiece or bathing suit, sort of jumping one by one into the pool. Mm -hmm. Bugsley Berkeley invented that shot. That shot was done, you know, literally done a hundred years ago now. Yeah. Uh, And it's a fantastic shot. It always works, but you know you'll see a movie that does that and granted it's in color it's you know in high definition it looks great but um you know you'll see that shot and it'll get mentioned as like oh wow that that's really impressive and it's like a 20th generation shot that has done (laughs) way better as like one little moment in a like Fifteen-minute-long, astounding thing of you know overhead mirror shots of you know mm. women swimming across the pool and and clearly this has that influence. Um, and for me, those those moments are divine. Yeah,
0: And they are impressive. And they are quite cool. Let, let's move to Mars though, because I do want because I can't
1: wait to move to Mars. Yeah, <laughs> get your ass to Mars. Um, uh, get off this planet. <laughs> I want um, off. The, the
0: rocket again, like say, and I'm, I'm not going to sort of like you know kick on their technology ideas for this because obviously, you know, they were way they didn't have jet engines and other stuff, so I'm not going to harp on that. But they get on a rocket because even so, like the sparseness of the inside of the rocket, like again, you know, I can think of like the Quatermass experiment is very similar, that's only thought sort of, 30 years from now, um, or even sorry, 20, 20 something years, but uh, yeah, the rocket goes up. The one thing that was interesting, like I said, there are no creature comforts. It takes a month for them to get to Mars. Now, again, I'm not going to talk about how long it actually would take, or, and you know, no. that long, but that's fine. But I kind of like that they acknowledge the passing of time. Mm-hmm. That it's not just sort of like, boom, we're there. That they are like, oh no, it would take time.
1: Like it's a distant place. Right. And so yeah, I think... There's a four month window, and yes. they're really only on Mars for like uh, it's. There is a four day period yes. on Mars, but they're maybe on Mars for like a week. The rest is traveling time. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and so they acknowledge that, which
0: I thought was kind of interesting. This idea that like um, yeah, because the the point of the mission is just to get there and get back. Mm-hmm. Like that's the point. And that's the sort of what the, the you know JT uh, twenty sorry J twenty one wants to have this sort of thing to elevate him to be like I'm the first man to Mars, um, and so they do this, sort of, but they they do they travel there and it's good and obviously single O is a stowaway, um, not knowing where they're going. So you know, um, and that's to, to, to say, that's one of the weird moments when they sort of when they tell him it takes him like a, 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 a beat to respond, and then he goes you know, you tell me now, and sort of collapses in that sort of like over-exaggerated way, and then they laugh and you're just sort of like, no, like I'm going like, you know, how much fuel do you have like, can you carry this extra person it's not a it's not a consideration it doesn't matter um, but one of the things I do like is there's there's two things I kind of find interesting this idea of Martians and, and what they are but also the fact that because the, 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 this is a black and white film in 1930 but they give it a red colour tint for Mars. Now,
1: that was added later.
0: Oh, was it? I wasn't yeah, sure. That oh, was okay. added
1: later, yeah. Uh, I that, mean, the, yeah. It was good to see the difference, though.
0: I liked yeah. it for me. I was a bit worked. I was like, oh, they're a Mars. That's cool. Uh, but what are your thoughts? Going
1: hit hit us with your thoughts on the whole Mars section then, because it's, it's interesting. As, as the writer of Martian comics. Uh, yes, exactly. Plug, plug. Um, yeah, I mean, you know... The, first of all, to get to your point about, I, I thought the same thing about the stowaway, but also, um, but also like, did you guys bring a change of clothes? You
0: know, like, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know, where's no the showers? Out? Like, they're in
1: the same clothes through the whole time. It's like, those are pretty rank after four months. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I love the Martian stuff. I mean, and, and of course, you know, Mars is breathable and it has, you know, a culture, um, and it's sort of ruled by a queen, you mm-hmm. know, which is cool. You know, interesting sort of take on we've been talking about gender roles and, you know, it, it's a matriarchy. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and great costumes and all of this. But there are uh, apparently everyone on Mars are twins. And so there's, you know, the the good queen and the bad queen and it clearly played by the same act. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, I think it looks great. It's, you know, yeah, it's a little silly, but I mean, um, you know, we talk about uh, on the Patreon uh, for Stories Out of Time and Space um, and and 20th Century Geek, we talk about the Twilight Zone.
0: And the Twilight Mm.
1: Zone has stuff like this, you know, uh, you know, what, uh, more than 30 years later. So this is obviously a long time before, um, you know, the Viking uh, probe. uh, Yeah. You know, showed Mars is probably pretty lifeless. Yeah,
0: but it, uh, yeah, and I'm I'm quite, quite, again, comfortable with this idea of sort of like our interpretation of our solar system in 1930. You know, that there's a population on Mars. Um, but I Why like, this, yeah, I like this idea of having the sort of the yin and yang, like everyone is a twin. There's a good one and a bad one, and they have separated into two societies, like two mirroring societies. Um. You know, almost like a mirror verse. Like one side should probably all be wearing goatees, um, <laughs> but the, I like the fact, well, the way they sort of depict some of this. And uh, again, we talked about the vaudeville, but like the pantomime and the acting of this—the big acting of the queen and her sort of like protector or whatever. She keeps just sort of like you know, doing that that sort of like raising and hissing and the <laughs> kind of thing. All all fun. But I like the fact that, I say some of the sets. But when they be, when they're introducing the good side, there's like an entrance way. Mm-hmm. And like a tiered sort of wall, and everyone's leaning over the side and cheering them and clapping for them. And then when they get taken to the bad side, that same entrance exists, but everyone's cheering, everyone is jeering, and shouting, and threatening them. And um, I, I like sort of this, this sort of, again, some simple things, but I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's a funny idea. Um, but this is, uh, there's a whole section of this because the, the Martians don't speak it's all done through sort of gestures and other bits
1: of pieces so de the fact, whole... de facto sign language like yeah i mean it's cool yeah. that they know like yeah the martians don't speak english you know and that they try to communicate and you have the characters trying to puzzle out what that means i mean it's it's cool they at least get that idea right yeah yeah they're not all going to speak english like you know <laughs>
0: um but also, I have to say, like, there's a bit where they're, sort of, they're with the goods and they're putting on some sort of display. There's like a dance number and stuff going on. And then the bads attack. And I, I must have missed them because I watched it and I was like, is there any explanation as to why this is happening? Or is it just happening?
1: <laughs> it just chose them to attack, right? <laughs> I mean... You know it's it's fortuitous
0: i didn't know because i was thinking like do they indicate that they've seen the ship land and they're sort of coming because of that
1: or is there something else that's triggered it i don't know um they probably heard i mean you know what's there is a guy who runs who's clearly one of the sort of male spiky outfit guys who runs away from and it's a it's a lovely uh set uh as the rocket ship lands sort of the miniature um and it's not clear which tribe he belongs to, but mm-hmm. then later on they they go and they have to choose: do we go left or right? Uh, and they flip a coin, and at least them to the good guys. Yes, uh, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense. Why? Why now? But
0: no, I, I, I was just wondering if I'd missed something, if there was an explanation. But if there isn't, I'm not that bothered. Um, but I do like all this stuff again on Mars. It like takes it. What well, they would say is it lasts a bit longer than it needs to. Um. I mean, it, it definitely feels of sort of like the Flash Gordon serials or the the Buck Rogers sort of serials, <clears throat> and that's all kind of cool. But it it does sort of go on, and I think one of the problems I have with this point is where the vaudeville sort of gets a bit tedious. So the character of El Brendel sort of or Singlow, he continues to have these sort of moments where he's like he faints, or he's like you know oh my, and sort of or he gets into a sort of a tussle, and it bopped on the head, and then he'll collapse or he'll stagger. And you said about this being a ripoff, or this being a blockbuster, been sort of like taking others. Like he was brought in because he's a name, and you made a really good point about, oh, he's like the SNL, the actor that sort of like, yeah, you'll you you'll have forgotten five years from now, sort of, you know, the Will Sasso of sort of like, you know, goes off and does a film. And all I could think of is, you know, this this guy on his own. Yeah, there's others, but like, it felt like this is the kind of thing that like the Marx Brothers or laurel and hardy do 10 times better uh-huh. that sort of like comedy sort of vaudeville uh timing and sort of like that pantomime of being hit on the head reacting spinning around and doing stuff and it sort of i went off actually and i went to sort of check and i thought i'm interested to just watch a couple of those and a bit, cause I, i've seen quite a bit of laurel and hardy and stuff and i've seen a bit of marcus brothers but i went and checked i went and had a quick look on youtube And I was, I was like, yeah, do you know what? They are good. They are really good. They're very rehearsed. They're very well done, especially when you watch some of their films and stuff. And there's a reason, I think, that those stand up, and obviously they're teams and stuff, but there's a reason that they stood up as classics or they stand up as a sort of, you know, iconic from that sort of transition from vaudeville to screen, and this guy probably doesn't. Um, And so I just thought that was interesting, sort of like he does his bit and he's got this, I said, this, Foreigner character but like he, he never his timing never feels as spot on or as crisp as some of those other acts and so it, it feeds again into that thing of like yeah he's 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 popular now but like they're not getting the top-notch comedian or like you know because again probably a cost i'm pretty sure even in 1930 like lauren hardy probably cost a fortune to to hire or something there's a, and there's two of them so i don't know but it, it just starts sort of like wear on me a little bit and i was like okay this is still going this is still going this is st- i'm still doing this whole thing of running around on mars but
1: yeah i mean I-, I keep thinking about rob schneider like yes you know right like he's hot let's put him in this and it's like yeah. oh man you know like i mean to his credit ed Brendel is more talented than rob schneider okay <laughs> and, yeah. you know um, and also the vaudeville acts, you know, can, uh, especially the hat number and stuff, um, you know, ha- have a charm to them and, and are kind of cool, but you're right. Too much time is given to that Rob Schneider character who yeah. they think is going to be a big hit with the audience. And, you know, in retrospect, you know, is, is not that, that impressive, either a talent or those jokes, you know, don't land compared mm. to other stuff. Um, I don't know that the Mars section is too long. I I do have some of the same feeling that like, you know, especially with the Ed Brendel Al Brandel stuff that I was bored with, you know, some of that. And I and I thought that this movie moved at a rapid clip. I mean, we've watched a lot of movies, not a lot. It's a minority, but we've watched several movies for this podcast where I'll sort of, you know, stop in the middle and think wow, you know, like, I've got another hour to go or something. Yeah, Never felt that way here. I mean, I was no, no, on no. for the ride. But during the Mars sequence, it does, so I do sort of think, well, I mean, I find myself thinking two things. One is, it's dragging a little. Mm. But also, I'm thinking, how the hell are they going to get back and wrap this up in, like, 10 yeah. minutes, you know? Yeah. And I, And I sort of feel like the Mars stuff should be longer. I feel like, but it should have, feel like there's more going on it should be more entertaining than it is i love mm. the costumes i love the the dance numbers um i love the the twin thing as you said the confidence and paranoia kind of yes. thing. yes yeah, um, yeah you know and i know you love those internal conflicts uh i don't know how they're you know like divided i mean do these tribes have an agreement like right <laughs> you figure out when people are born who's the good one and who's the baddie maybe we maybe yeah, may, well maybe yeah. they don't have goatees
0: when we see them, but maybe that maybe that's how they're born. Like the the one, the angry ones are born with like thick eyebrows and a goatee. Like, oh, there's the bad one that goes off to that village.
1: Well, you mentioned that you mentioned the eyebrows. Like they have the sort of Spock Vulcan yes. uh, uh, eyebrows, which is is clearly just absolutely the the early Vulcan eyebrows. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I love I love
0: the design. Even like I say, game, game. this goes back to that production design again. Like the production design on this stuff is great. Like you said, the costuming and the looks. But on one of the dance numbers, I wanted to quickly bring this up before we run out of time. That on Mars, there's a giant set of like a big deity. Like he calls it. Um, oh my god. Um, yeah,
1: the idol.
0: The idol. He's, he's, yeah. He, that's the one joke he that actually in Mars that really made me chuckle. He says, "Oh, it's an idol." He's he's an idol. He says, "What with all these women about?" And I was like that's that's a funny joke but there's this massive idol and they're dancing around it it has these arms that move Mm -hmm. and then it picks up these women in sort of sweeps them up and this thing and i was like that is that that, for 1930 and that that sort of i mean i don't know how dangerous it was i'm sure people got caught their leg or something but like it's really impressive like it's a really good set piece
1: that is bugsley berkeley right yeah There's a a famous Bugley berkeley number where I think it's a sort of staircase that's winding and, Mm. you know, it's expanding as it goes up. And, you know, he would build these sets that would just spin around and and change and open up as people danced on them. Um, You know, and I thought that was, you know, uh, you know, doing that thing that I like so much about uh, Berkeley's work, but Mm. also... Uh, in that kind of sci-fi setting, right? And the mm. idol looks cool. I mean, you know, it, it it's really an is. amazing. It's just amazing to watch. You can imagine seeing this on the big screen, yeah. especially in an era where, you know, before color, where, you know, this would have been just, I mean, it's a shame this was a flop because we could have had another 30 years of big budget sci-fi stuff <laughs> that we never got. But also, like, I would have been blown away by this. Yeah, no, it's the stuff, and this is only,
0: you know, I'm watching this on YouTube and the quality is not great. Um, and stuff. but like, there's, some of these set pieces are great, are really good, you know, like, this is the kind of film that I'm surprised hasn't got some obscure sort of like criterion collection
1: cleanup version that they've re released. Um, I think it but, deserves it. I mean, I, I, I think it's amazing. I mean, it, it, you know, I like that you brought up that idol scene, you know. Yeah. Uh, but again, this is like that sense of spectacle. And I love mm. that spectacle. And and one of the criticisms of Berkeley classic, you know, Bugsley Berkeley is that he, you know, sometimes those Berkeley numbers that he used to come in and direct for other directors. Right. He mm. would direct that number. Um, sometimes it's like, how does this fit into the film again? <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Like it, <laughs> stop dance number. Right. <laughs> or an amazing dance number that's sort of hallucinogenic, and yeah. you know, tons of mirrors, and you know, all of this wonderful stuff. People bursting through the screen, and you know, just astounding stuff. Even today, and then, and then it's like, right, back to our story about the college kids, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <Like> so <laughs> uh, abrupt, but um, that idol scene is is such a fantastic number, um, and I and I do think that. You know, I mean, you were pointing out the way in which these are interlaced sort of plots that don't necessarily go together. Mm. This is sort of the dumb big budget sci-fi of 1930. You and I like and have watched a lot of dumb big budget sci-fi where it's like, oh, that looks awesome.
0: (laughs) these
1: are good ideas but i'm not sure this all went together and why did you have to put rob schneider in it yeah oh my god
0: is is this yeah is this a michael bay film of (laughs) (laughs) 1930 but you're right i think you're right about the spectacle excuse me and it works Uh, but the one thing i'd say is about talking about ed and and sort of single o coming in as a character they raise him up bit by bit like they keep giving him these little set pieces and they keep sort of like bringing him on screen i kind of like the hat thing of telling that story of going to the wedding because you see but you know cuz it, it is this story like the story he tells with the hats is literally the story that the plot of this film of, of j um 21 and, and ln um you know and so i kind of like that but he, by the end of the film he is the main character like he saves the two drags them off to the ship um he beats the he beats the sort of the big bad guy um in some sort of weird vaudevillian thing they find that their earlobes are a, a pressure point <laughs> which is interesting why and then, yeah he gets on the ship and then he he gets the rocket fires it off from Mars to get it back home in time so you, and then he also gets the final yeah they resolve the appeal and and, and j21 and, and Ellen are allowed to get together and, and sort of a bit like quick but then um um Sing Lo is given the last shot of the film yeah, it's that's quite that's clear right. who who the, sort of the main character is um, and i thought that was quite interesting by the end of the film like they've shifted to this this character being the main character um
1: yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, he certainly, you know, it, it felt to me like they're trying to give him something to do besides yeah. just get drunk on alcohol pills. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, they're trying to make him sort of be the hero. I mean, he's the one they're coming to see, so mm. let's do that. I do think it's worth noting that in that court, uh, appearance I, again the set design is wonderful I mean and, and of course it's silly to imagine Art Deco you know it's yeah. like still going on but it still looks amazing yeah. I love that courtroom with the judge high on, yeah. on, on the bench and everything um, but it is worth pointing out that uh, Single Low has brought back a Martian yes. uh, as as a prisoner with that you know reminds me of the Vulcan nerve Pinch mm-hmm. uh, you know the, from later but um, you know and it did uncomfortably remind me of sort of Native Americans brought to, to Eng- the English court and you know it's like righty we can prove that we went to America because see we brought one back with us that that
0: we haven't sort of we, we're, we're running low on time but that was yeah. one of the things I was curious about because the depiction of the Martians and sets on Mars feels very much like and, and I'm going to be very careful with some of the words, but that sort of like early, almost like Victorian sort of like depictions of Africa. Here's the African vibe, you know, all that that, that that bone through the nose, all that kind of horrible stereotyping that happened. And then it does seem to feel like it transitions towards almost like depictions of Native Americans. Like they're going for that sort of savage, you know, kind of thing. And it's, it's interesting that, it, it, it's conflicted because they have a queen and they have their own knives nice and this other stuff, but there's still that element of like, well, they're not as as advanced as us, kind of thing. Um,
1: right. Well, and and also, I, I mean, both look Africans were were brought before the crown too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but but there is this trope of other spaces, right? Colonized spaces, spaces of noble savages, quote unquote can be matriarchal Mm -hmm. and you know but we here in civilized you know england (laughs) you know we know the proper way um and all of this stuff but there is a sort of like cultural space that's allowed to do that
0: yeah no it it is an interesting thing um but we are we are coming to a close so let's sort of resolve with our sort of final thoughts so julian just imagine
1: do you have any final thoughts I mean, I kind of love this movie. Um, you know, I mean, I think the spectacle holds up. I think the miniatures, the special effects really hold up. You know, it is, look, I mean, it, it's more coherent, a sort of, you know, silly spectacle sci-fi story than a lot of stuff. Um, and, you know, finally, uh, I want to say that, you know, the as silly as these names are, uh, I do like the sort of LN, uh, but as silly as these names are, um, it reminded me of C-3PO and R2-D2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and let us not forget OB-1. Yeah. Who, you know, the the people thought, oh, well, maybe he's secretly a droid or one of those clones from the, the Clone Wars because it sounds like OB-1. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I'm glad maybe you there's that. more influence for this film than we would sometimes think.
0: I'm glad you said that. I almost made a mech, uh, space mech. Joker, <laughs> and I thought no, I'll leave it. So I'm glad you made that connection. Um, but you, you, yeah, so you you enjoyed this film?
1: Yeah, I I really like this film. Yeah,
0: um, it was fun <laughs> to go back to. It. No, I'm, I, I, and I won't. I, I refuse. I'm, I'm not going to sort of diss on this film. I, I went back and I was uh, within ten minutes. Uh, I think one of the things I'd say is I was impressed with the pace. I was like, this this films you know is is. Uh, what was it? Ten minutes of the film starting. Like you've got to get through those opening credits because it's like the old films where the entire credits are at the beginning. Um, but the, you're right. This film moves at a, a, you know a hell of a pace. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to see. You know, remembering this is in 1930, it's full, it's chock full of ideas at times. Um, not all the jokes land. You know, I think they've aged out. And we've seen better versions of them. Even a lot of the vaudeville kind of sort of hu- humour is done better elsewhere. However, there is a real charm to this film, uh, and I kind of like some of the musical numbers. I like I do kind of like the sw- the, the flies what felt phil- uh, song, the drinking one was good. The, the The dance performances at the end and Mars are good. It, I was I'm, I was surprised that sort of I got to the end of this and I was like I didn't hate that, <laughs> like <laughs> I enjoyed that. That was good. Like. I've never heard of this film, but I, I think I got something th- from it. So um, it, I, I don't think I'll ever go back and watch it. I don't think it's something I'll, I'll, I'll seek out again. But I'm glad I've seen this sort of like early um, swing for the fences. And we, we often say that we like that kind of thing, but this early swing for the fences of like, yeah, let's try something a bit crazy and see what happens. And this, this mixture of sort of like this, this sort of like mix up of everything, uh, you know, doesn't always work. Um, in its running time, but it's it's fun. Um, let's talk about you. You say actually, you, you know, good point. Sorry, I just want to hit on this. You've just said about SpaceX and George Lucas, right? Obi Wan. Don't forget, we're in this season. We are going to be talking about TX THX thirty mm-hmm. eight. So you you want to talk about? I think George. You're right. George Lucas has seen and enjoys this film.
1: Yeah, and and. The other thing is this—that spaceship. I mean, I, I did. I know I, I've commented on a lot of We're out of time, but that that shot of the moon, the shots of Earth from outer space. Yes, are cool. I mean, yeah. there should be more cloud cover and stuff. But <laughs> you know, it's funny how they say nobody's seen this before. So clearly, this never been. You know, it's just like our first trip into outer space it's like screw the moon we're going straight to mars you know (laughs) so i mean it doesn't make sense but i like when he looks through the telescope at earth and and sees his beloved's face you know uh sort of singing um the the love song um about the melody and the and the words i i I did what did find that quite charming but but the that rocket ship was used in the flash gordon serials uh,
0: yeah
1: yeah and Those those sci-fi serials, which really start around this time, and are the only sci-fi in, in, you know, major major budget sci-fi for quite some time, is where Star Wars comes out of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And
0: also, don't forget, 50 years from this point, 1980, that rocket would be replicated for Flash Gordon. (laughs) Yeah. So if you if you were to transpose the director of this, David Butler, would be like, well, where does we go with science fiction? I'd be like, well, watch, here's a film from 1980, and I would show him Flash Gordon. And he'd be like, oh, wow, we haven't moved on much at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, But yes, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, welcome uh, to season four of Stories Out of Time and Space. This is it. We've just been covered. Just imagine from 1930. Uh, there is a link, um, and I'll, I'll make sure it's in the notes, there's a link down to the YouTube or a YouTube version of this. It's readily available. Just so you know, it's um, um, mostly fine. I think I found there's a, there's a couple of edit uh, jump edits that sort of like, you know, where footage may have lost, but it's literal seconds. It it looks fine throughout. Um, Other than that, I hope you've enjoyed this. And if you do enjoy this, don't forget to go back, check out the episodes we've done before the three of the seasons, where we've covered like, you know, tens of films, Red Dwarf, Westworld, Recently we've done Doctor Who. And go check out our Patreon. As Julian said, uh, we are talking our way through the Twilight Zone, episode by episode. And there's a couple of extra bonuses on there. We've t- we covered the Doctor Who, uh, the movie from 1995, and the comic release special, The Curse of the Fatal Death. So go check those out. There'll be a link down to our uh, Patreon down below. Uh, but aside from that, Julian, thank you very much for letting me imagine. Um <laughs> this has been a wonderful experience uh
1: well you remember those old ads from dc comics you know yeah. the just imagine you know yes uh, all the heroes united um so next up is dr cyclops from 1940 yeah we jump in 10 years
0: yeah let's see what what, what the 40s have to offer for us uh i don't think there's any musical numbers in that we shall find oh. out uh but ladies and gentlemen thank you very much and uh, we shall talk to you again soon